It's almost like opinionated frameworks are things that people like. Paul Copplestone, welcome to the show. Hey Anthony, hey Chris, nice to be here. You've been intersecting with the Redwood community in a lot of different ways that we're going to get into, but you and I actually have an interesting intersection where we both spoke at, it was called the Open Source Contributor Summit, I believe was the, the title put together by Brian Douglas, popularly known as B-Dougie on the internet. He is someone I met through Jamstack Radio, actually. I had reached out to him to talk about Redwood, and throughout our conversation, he was like, hey, do you want to speak at this Contributor Summit and kind of tell your story about being a boot camp grad, getting into, uh, like, open source? <laughs> and it was funny, because at the time, like, I was not quite, I wasn't on the core team yet, but I was kind of like a contributor, so I was in like this kind of mid-ground, but I saw that you were speaking at it, and I'm like, oh, Superbase, I've heard of Superbase. That's the guy who is posted on like the Redwood forums, like when we did that Superbase integration. And I kind of like hopped in the chat and it was like, hey, like people in Redwood love Superbase. <laughs> and you're like, ah, oh, cool. And that was, that, was it. that was it. That was like the entire interaction. But um, yeah, I thought that was really cool. And the reason why I like tell this story to like set out the episode is because Superbase is really focused on open source and open source tech. And I find that you've put a very strong emphasis on that in a way that I don't see a lot of other companies. But um, before we get into all that, even though some of our listeners will know Superbase, others will probably have never heard of it. So first, just what is Superbase? Superbase is an open source Firebase alternative, and we are building the features of Firebase using open source tools. I think this is where we're actually quite different from most open source tools. Of course, Firebase is not one thing. It's a suite of tools that kind of give you a back end, everything you need. Our differentiator is that essentially we're trying to find existing communities, existing tools which already solve the problem and then kind of stitch them together to give this amazing experience around open source tooling itself. Just so everybody knows, what Firebase is, is to why I understand a wrapper around Google Cloud to make their services easier to understand. James, the founder, probably would disagree. It started as basically a real-time database that they offered. They came out about uh, seven years ago, I think. It started just as a real-time database and then particularly focused on the mobile experience. So what Firebase is, in a nutshell, is a suite of tools. It's a database, a real-time database. It's hosting for your static website. It's storage for your images, movies, blobs. It's cloud functions. It's analytics. It's basically all of this. And auth, all stitched together in this seamless experience with client libraries and everything working together nicely. Now, it was acquired by Google, I think about five years ago, and they're slowly sort of integrating more with a Google suite of tools. But Firebase as a tool is quite amazing. You can literally build your front end only or your product only, whatever it is, and then all the back end is handled by Firebase itself. You just get everything out of the box. It has a few limitations. Typically, people see some scaling limitations. And these are the things that we're trying to solve up front from the start with some technical decisions. But otherwise, it's a really quite a cool tool. Everything that you said about Firebase and it being a platform with all of these different pieces is very much how I've heard it described. And that totally gels with kind of like my mental model of it. But something that has always confused me is that I've never been able to quite tell what kind of database it actually is because it's always kind of buried behind like this really nice API and this whole hosting experience. And as you said, it used to be another thing and now it's a different thing. So it's not even the same database that it was when it started. So let's not worry about what it was. What is it now? Do you know what the underlying database actually is? 
Yeah, it's a proprietary one by Google. I'm guessing it's wrapping one of their other databases. So I couldn't tell you. Do you have a guess of which one? Like like Spanner maybe? No, because it's more sort of, it's a NoSQL database for starters. Right. They actually have two. This is what's super confusing and what will confuse most people. They've got one called Realtime. DB, and they've got one called Firestore. Firestore is their kind of new offering. When people talk about the Firebase database, it's unclear which one they're talking about because it could be either. <laughs> and we don't know what either of them are either. They're both just proprietary Google databases. It started off as Mongo, actually, uh, originally, and then I'm sure it's morphed into some layer on top of Mongo, the real-time database, and then I don't know what the next one. Yeah, when people have talked about it to me, I've always gotten the sense that it was a NoSQL kind of database. It wasn't a relational database, which is why I found it very interesting that you were building a Firebase alternative with Postgres, and that doesn't quite gel with my mind and how that works exactly. So are you trying to provide a Firebase experience with a relational database, or are you actually trying to map the model of their API to relational backend. Yeah, so that's an important distinction. We are not trying to build a one-for-one -one you migrate away directly. In fact, we thought about it at the start, but we just didn't like their interfaces. We thought we could do a much better experience. So all we wanna do is provide the experience or an even better experience around the developer tooling so that the sort of tagline we use internally is you can build in a weekend and scale to millions. So we just wanna give this experience where you get to your wow factor uh, immediately, then you can scale sort of indefinitely using the most scalable tools that we can find on the market. And actually on that point, the reason why we didn't actually start with the tagline, the open source Firebase alternative, we just wanted to make tooling around Postgres because it's obviously a great database. That was actually an idea I had for a tagline you should change to, which is Postgres for developers. <laughs> the assertion being Postgres is usually for DBAs. Yes, <laughs> exactly. At some stage, we'll undoubtedly change the tagline. But for now, it gets the message across until we sort of bring out the extra features. But the idea is that, yeah, we talked to many, many developers at the start of last year, and they would say, you know, I love Postgres. And then we'd say, what are you using? And a lot of them would say Firebase. And they'd say, just because it was so easy to use. So it became our first thing. We actually just wanted to build the tooling, but we realized we even have to offer the hosted experience so that when you sign up, you can literally get a database in less than a minute and you can start building directly from the dashboard to get this experience of Firebase. And that's where the idea, well, let's just build a whole open source Firebase because it's what people love and solve some of the problems that they don't love about Firebase. As a joke, I would say that you've took the uh, Bender approach and said you'll build it yourself with open source technology. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've looked into Superbase, but I've never used it. Sacrilege, probably. I don't know. And I've seen what's happened and rumbled around the Redwood community. I have a production running database, to give contacts, that is hosted at DigitalOcean. And to give contacts where I sit in databases... I hate them. I don't like them. I know they store data, but I don't really care about the data. I just want it to come back in an API, if that makes sense. I'm really interested to know more about what the benefits are to, in my mind, hosting on Superbase in its most simplest form. Maybe it would help if I step you through the experience, what you would get as a first-time developer coming to our platform. So first of all, you sign up, you start a project. When you start a project, we go 
and we launch literally a full Postgres instance for you. Not even a schema within our database, it's literally a full server for you. And this one is your database and we manage it for you. We give you full Postgres level access. So if you are a DBA or you wanna get into the low level stuff, that's great, you can. If you don't, then what we do is one minute after we've launched it, you are on this dashboard and it kind of looks a little bit like Airtable. You can start building your tables your database tables directly from this table editor. Then also from the dashboard, you can use a SQL editor. You can query your database directly from the dashboard. We provide all the auth for you so you can start signing up users straight away. You can invite them along to your database. And then we also provide this very nice thing where let's say you've started building your tables. The API itself has this auto-generated documentation directly inside the dashboard. So you just copy and paste the snippets of code. And as you add a table, they sort of self-document. You can add descriptions to your Postgres tables that will get exposed to the documentation itself. So it's kind of this very seamless experience. And we sent everything inside the database. We're not doing anything special outside of it. So literally you could even dump your database and take it to your favorite database provider if you didn't like Superbase. But really we're building the tooling directly into the database itself. Now that means that if you are not a DBA, you get this sort of seamless experience where you just focus on building your product. You don't have to worry about auth. We provide you all the keys. We provide you the security model. But if you do want to, you know, do some funky things with your database, you want to add some special schemas, do triggers, do whatever you want. You can do that all from the dashboard or you can connect your own whatever tool, PG Admin, to your database and start doing it as you would traditionally with, say, your DigitalOcean database. Just so we know, what does DBA mean? Uh, database administrator. There we go. The person you pay a large amount of money to watch your database for you. I feel like we may be going into a new age of DBA because I've spoke to previous companies that have built big products. They're like, oh, we, we pay like 10 people to watch our database. I'm like, what are they doing? Migrations and that. I was like, have you heard of Prisma 2? It'll do them for you. <laughs> yes, that's true until you get to scale. So there are definitely a lot of unsolved problems in databases. Scale is one of them that I would say probably there's only a few companies that have really solved truly global scale for, um, you know, sign up and get that experience. Some of the other ones are sort of migrations, working with relational databases, and definitely Prisma 2, um, the type of thing that we'll be offering, we hope to solve this. So you don't really have to think about it. We can bring a sort of next gen experience to even schemas themselves. But then when you start scaling, there are some very interesting, you know, spreading your data out across the world where do you host it do you shard your database uh, it's too big it's getting you know a million hits per minute sort of thing what are the real size that a database can handle these are the ones that yeah you start needing to have people optimizing the database optimizing queries but the goal of superbase is really to push that 10 times further down the road we will expose without having to rely on us to solve it for you. We expose the things with, that are likely necessary. Hey, you're missing an index on this table. This query here is running 10 times slower than it could. And we just make all the tooling that exists inside Postgres, because there is a lot of tooling and we expose it inside the dashboard. So you can sort of go in and fix the problems as you see them crop up. That's really interesting how you say, push it down the line. Because as Anthony always says, I love all my problems fixed by someone else. And these are one of the things that does scare me about Postgres is that I know in the future, within this year, we will be hitting an international release of our product and we'll probably want a database in the US 
as well. What do we do? Do we just merge the databases and stitch them somehow? Or do we just run them completely separate through two different endpoints and treat them like two completely different systems? Yeah, it's hard. And when we spoke to Fauna, and I was like, yeah, we do all that for you. And, you know, you just talk to us and we'll do the rest. I was like, hmm. Maybe I've picked the wrong option with Postgres, but this is from someone who doesn't care about databases, and that's sacrilege in ways, but I like to always think of myself as a generalist, and databases are just that subject that is too deep for me sometimes. It's definitely the case. As I say, there are a lot of unsolved problems when it comes to data. Just data is inherently hard to deal with, conflicts and things like that. So it's definitely one of the reasons, for example, we didn't build a database. We just used one of the most trusted in the world. Uh, Postgres has been you know, around as Postgres for 30 years and, and Ingress before that. So it's very well trusted, very scalable. If you ask people, hey, what is the most scalable op- open source database? Almost always they'll recommend Postgres. So that's the reason why we chose it above anything else. And really, if you're thinking about those sort of problems, it's probably premature. I mean, if people are migrating off, if you're thinking about scalability as a problem when you're first starting your business, especially with Superbase, you shouldn't have to. 90% of the reason for that is because we just chose Postgres. And if you're migrating off, say, Oracle, you'd usually go to something like Postgres where you start splitting up. But spreading the data around the world, that's an interesting one. That's definitely a problem and going to be more and more of a problem across the next 10 years. Do you think you're going to have to implement some sort of like consensus algorithm at some point, like Paxos? Yeah, we'll probably, so we'll probably do it with routing to begin with. Maybe, for example, you might say which sort of data is global, which sort of data can be split across two different databases. Yeah, but it's been less of a problem so far. No one's been asking for it. More people asking for read replicas, pushing data to the edge to uh, reduce latency. So these are the things that will likely hit first. But to be completely honest, for the next six months, we still have a lot of Firebase features to focus on before we start doing some of the nitty gritty on the on the database. Yeah, we're going to get into some of those features that you're still working on. But before that, I would actually like to talk a little bit more about the internals here, because as you say, you are using Postgres, you have this really stable tech, but you've actually built something kind of unique on top of it, I think, that you've talked a little bit about in some of your interviews. And we're going to have to define a couple things here for for our listeners first, because I think many of them aren't going to know these. The first one is Phoenix. Phoenix is a web framework for Elixir. Elixir is a programming language that is a nicer syntax on top of Erlang. And Erlang is a pretty old language that is made for concurrency. So having lots and lots and lots of little independent programs that can run called actors, the actor model. And this is really the core and what makes this so unique. That's what you're using. So you're using Phoenix. And so Erlang is what makes it all concurrent. My first question is, why do you use Phoenix instead of just Elixir? What are you getting from Phoenix that you can get from raw Elixir? Yeah, it's a good question. I'll, I'll just point out that this is only one part of Superbase. This is the real time. Basically, what we do is we take Postgres, which is sort of a static database. You can push data in, grab data out, and we transform it into a real time database using the Phoenix server. The way we do that is that we listen to the replication stream of the database. So basically with Postgres, what you can have is if you had two Postgres databases, you could send data to one and it would replicate the data across to the other one. We make Postgres kind of think that we are a replication target and then it sends the data through to our Phoenix server 
it translates this binary stream and it sends out that data as a JSON blob over WebSockets. And it means that you can connect to this Phoenix server with the WebSockets and you can listen to the stream of data coming out of your database. So anything that happens to your database, you can listen to it over the WebSocket. So what does Phoenix get us over pure Elixir? It's just a much cleaner, easier wrapper for this implementation for the WebSockets. It's got the security built in, it's had some of the like pre-configured components, how we would do the sockets. It's kind of like saying, why would you use Redwood over JavaScript? <laughs> One of the questions that I have is, is these modules optional? For example, could I use the real time and Postgres without using your auth provider? Yeah, so at the moment, the experience is that it's a hosted platform. So you sign up and you just get everything and free of charge right now because we're in beta. We're still building, so everything's free. What we're doing, working on this quarter is actually the self-hosted experience, the local emulator where you can run things yourself. And then from there, it'll be basically kind of a Docker Compose if you want to run it and you could choose what you want to run. We are currently an amalgamation of six different tools and it's soon to be seven or maybe actually eight. So you'll be able to switch things on and off. The center of it is all the database, all the config lives inside the database. So you always have to have that, but you should be able to turn some parts of it off if you don't want it. Awesome. Here's one question that I've just seen. Your login provider is Auth0, but is your Superbase provider Auth0 wrapped? Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, so. We sort of had this accidental launch in April last year where we were just building. We had only been building for two months and uh, someone put us on Hacker News and <laughs> we went to the top and we stayed there for a while. It was quite a successful launch, but we were supposed to be in stealth. We were just building, trying to figure out how we would get everything together. At that stage, we didn't have auth. We just had the database. We had the APIs, we had the real time. Uh, and in that launch, everyone asked for auth. So we spent the next three months um, building the auth solution. And we ended up using Netlify's GoTrue server, which is a um, authentication module. And we use Postgres's row level security for authorization. So these two fit together quite seamlessly the way we've structured it. However, we haven't gotten round to implementing our own auth on our own site just because it's been uh, too busy trying to push out all the next features. But it's definitely um, <laughs> it's something that we joke about internally every week about when it's going to be implemented because we dog food literally everything. Superbase is built with Superbase. Yeah, auth is the last vestiges of our early days. Yeah, there's a lot of different auth options for Redwood, one of which is GoTrue, and then another one is Supabase. So I'm assuming that's Supabase using GoTrue. So yeah, that's uh, quite interesting. <laughs> exactly. I use Magic Links, the other edgy provider right now, to do authentication. Okay, yeah. So we actually as well provide uh, Magic Links inside. I must admit we haven't been very good at pushing some upstream to Netlify, but yeah, we've implemented just this week Azure. And when I say we, actually, I should point out the community have implemented onto our fork of GoTrue uh, Azure as a provider. Currently, we have four providers, which are the ones that Netlify built, which are GitLab, Google, uh, gosh. GitHub, probably. GitHub, correct. And Bitbucket. Yeah, I always make jokes about Bitbucket when I'm giving talks. Be like, why do they have Bitbucket as an option? Who uses Bitbucket? 
Yes, it's been a long time since I've touched Bitbucket. But uh, Netlify were great about implementing this. We forked it because they didn't have, they were implementing it on top of MySQL. So we had to do the um, Postgres wrapper. But um, yeah, someone implemented an fork. There is Azure provider and we have implemented magic links as well. So literally you can choose how you want to allow your users to sign up. When you sign up for um, Superbase, you can just add in your credentials in the database, your um, application credentials for any of those platforms. And then you can start receiving signups from your users directly. Just to clarify, when you say magic links, are you talking about the company magic links or just the concept of magic links? Yeah, just the concept of magic links. So if someone doesn't provide it, if they provide their email, but no password, then we'll assume it's a magic link. We send them an email. Gotcha. Yeah, because we have an integration with the company magic link. So that could be confusing for people in the Redwood world. <laughs> okay, okay. Cool. Let's get into some of the new things that you're building out. So this is kind of a naive question. Some people would maybe see that you don't have storage and wonder, how do you have a database without storage? That's a good one. Um, so very good question. Storage is the concept inside Firebase, or I guess in generally, is anything that is very big. Things that you would put in S3, for example, might be very large images, videos. You typically wouldn't put them in a database because the database storage itself might cost more and also fetching it is a little bit trickier. You'd store it separately in something that can be very cheap and globally distributed basically. So we'll be bringing out storage for large images, large files, and we're targeting that at the end of March. So Q1, this is our big focus this month, is to build storage and release it at the end of March. What is the use case? Obviously large images, but say you have a program a function that generates a PDF. What's the better way serve the PDF from the function after it gets generated or make the PDF create the PDF and then save it to a storage system and then let the user pull it from the storage system? Yeah, that's a tough question. Depends on this use case. I like this. This is like a quiz. I feel like I'm in a job interview. We go deep here. We've been told we're not technical enough, so we had to kick it up a notch. <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. Well, yeah, in this case, almost definitely you would um, store it and your server out of the storage because they'll probably access it multiple times. So in that case, compute is more expensive than storage and data transfer. You don't want to be computing a uh, PDF every single time someone needs to uh, generate it. And a PDF is inherently means that it probably will not change very frequently. So uh, in this case, yeah, you'll probably store it and anything that is like a PDF, a document like that, you typically put it in storage for uh, retrieval later. And the point of storage is not only to provide the storage but the i guess the means to put and pull from storage yes exactly exactly so we'll have to generate some client interfaces as well for this we'll wrap it we've got sort of this library superbase js we officially support js right now and the community are building all the other languages yeah everything that you need auth fetching uh crowd apis um searching all sorts of things are built into this library itself and it's modular. So for example, each one of the tools that we support, one of them is Postgres auto-generated APIs. We build a client library just for that tool and then we wrap it into our Superbase library. Same with GoTrue, um, the auth server. We build a library just for that tool and then we wrap it into our um, library. Likewise with storage, whatever storage provider we choose, we'll provide a client library just for that tool and then we'll wrap it into our Superbase library. That means that you could go ahead and use that tool itself as a standalone tool, and you can use our libraries without any breakages, and it's sort of our way of supporting open source 
tooling as well. We'll provide everything that you need in terms of libraries to put, fetch, manipulate, list, grab all your files, and also inside our dashboard, we'll have a nice interface for you to browse all your files, change the permissions, you know, maybe expose them to the web if you want to, these sort of things. One of the other things that I always think of is the complexity problem as like how long to get going. With like DigitalOcean, setting up a database, getting the right permissions, getting another user set up with the right permissions, getting PG Loader set up. PG Bouncer. PG Bouncer. It takes a lot of, I would say, manual time to get that there. To what I understand of Superbase is that within five minutes of signing up, you already have a database that has all of these things done for you. But the not the caveat, the bonus is you could take that Superbase tag and put it on DigitalOcean also. Yeah, exactly. Literally, you sign up. I would hope in less than five minutes. We, In fact, with some other uh, providers, we've got a one-click deploy. You can deploy a front-end. You can deploy a back-end. You can deploy our database with this integration, and uh, you get a front-end. And literally, all you do is provide the name of the project, and it will go ahead, and you've got a to-do list, a fully functional, real-time to-do list in less than two minutes. I, I would hope that it takes even less than uh, five minutes and we're always working on improving that and then as you say the bonus is that everything that we do we try to make sure that it's living inside the schema living inside the database itself so it's as simple as um, dumping the database Um, your data is you know always available it belongs to you you can take it to any other postgres provider there's nothing special about what we do we're trying to make it very compatible with any plain vanilla postgres database so you can take it anywhere you want yeah to kind of emphasize how portable it actually is our tutorial for how to integrate superbase with redwood is literally to just take the environment variable and switch it from the one you're using from heroku postgres like you don't change any of the code you don't change any of your migrations like the code in the project doesn't actually change at all so when i saw that that actually made me believe that this is portable in a way that allows you to lift and shift in a way that's very very rare actually with a lot of these tools because things get so tightly coupled and that's where i think building with postgres is like the right tech to bet on in that respect Uh, i like to get into next what you're doing with functions so functions are really interesting because most providers seem to have gone all in on aws lambda and obviously there's still azure functions and google cloud functions and you've decided to kind of go a different way and you're looking to implement some sort of open source version of this is that correct well yeah so functions will come q2 we're actually working on it now but um we probably won't implement we once again will try to support an existing tool and we try to find a community that's open to us um, implementing it within our suite of tools as well it's still unclear because lambda seems to be table stakes these days where you know most people have sort of written their functions in lambda so what we might try to do is find something that's compatible but at the very least we will find an open source tool so you can switch away from Lambda if you wanted and go to an open source. Have you heard of OpenFast? We have, yep. The main ones we're looking at now are two, OpenFast and OpenWhisk, both sort of function providers. Yeah, OpenWhisk was one of the originals. That's IBM, right? Yes, yep, exactly. And they both seem uh, pretty good. I also, you know, when we talk about functions, I don't know if you're familiar with Cloud Run. And of course, actually, uh, Lambda do this now, but you don't push 
just JavaScript, you can push a whole Docker image, which means that you could bring JavaScript, but you could bring any language you want. And it's sort of like native, you can use whatever tooling you want within this Docker image. I do think that's kind of the future of functions where, you know, you could provide a whole environment, not just, you know, one language. So this is one of the things we're investigating, you know, what do functions look like over the next 10 years so that, you know, you could bring your own Docker container if you wanted and, and that could run as a function, but it's still TBD. We're not clear on the technical implementation just yet. Yeah, I think the other ones you'd want to look at would be like Cloudflare's functions because, well, I guess you wouldn't want to look at that one because that one's and not an open source one, but in terms of like people kind of building to a certain kind of function, like that seems to be the only one that I see taking off that's different from Lambda because it's all edge network, whereas Lambda's, you, you still, you're just, you're getting a server in US each one. Usually you're not, you need to get to Lambda edge to actually get your functions on the edge. So that's the big thing there. So you want to think about, are you going to be writing to the types of functions that are going to be on the edge? Because then you'll already be set up then for all this kind of distributed, crazy geo-global replication stuff we've already been talking about. Yeah. Exactly. And as you can tell, portability is definitely something that we want from the start. So our ultimate goal is that you could take your functions that you've written for Superbase and you can run them somewhere else or, or hopefully multiple different places, just like you could take your Postgres database. So this portability story is just definitely something that we trying to make sure that we deliver on from the very start. Yeah, and the last thing on Cloud Run is we actually have a Redwood integration with Cloud Run that's been in the making for a while and will hopefully be in an upcoming release very soon. Oh, no way. So you can run the whole, run your app essentially on the edge. So basically people have been getting closer and closer to containerizing Redwood with things like Fargate and now Cloud Run. And this is something that Chris has a ton of experience with and we're slowly building out better and nicer integrations to basically containerize Redwood and Cloud Run is, is a big step in this direction. Wow, cool. We use PM2, so we have it hosted on PM2. Okay. And it's proper not good. <laughs> what I mean is, like, it's good because, you know, all the functions return instantly instead of waiting for something to boot up. But then you've also got a server that is being, like, optimally used 50% of the time with, like, all this headroom just sitting there. Yes, I mean, that's actually one of the big problems with Superbase at the moment. We actually provide full instances and we've got a lot of people coming and kicking the tires. So <laughs> there's a lot of underutilized databases right now, but it's very hard to scale a database to zero. You just couldn't do it and you can't really offer serverless databases right now. It's, well, not Postgres. The only one who's really doing it because they have massive scale is Amazon themselves. Yeah, it's definitely one that we hope to solve in the long term. You know, that's why we're working hard to try find compatible tools with uh, this sort of serverless approach. While the mantra, as you would say, is open source tech first, do you think as you grow, there is the ethical decision in your mind to think, would it be better if we take this closed source in parts to give a better experience to the developer? Yeah, that's actually why we started with offering a hosted platform. At the start, we were sort of doing everything. As you guys probably know, developing in public is hard, but it's also slow. You've got to make sure there's consensus on what you're going to build, lots of opinions. At the start, we were doing sort of a bring your own database and everything quite open. Then in the end, most people just wanted us to host the databases. The infrastructure for hosting the databases is the only thing that we haven't open sourced so far. 
And that's largely because, um, you know, we've got to do, first of all, we've got to move fast. We've only been building for less than a year now, but also because as data, we've got a lot of security things that we need to make sure, uh, you know, we don't have any security breaches. We've got to have audits regularly to make sure that we're complying with different laws and, and things like that. At some stage, I would say by default now, we're actually probably less open than I would like. And over time, we will open up more. That is the goal. It's a really always an interesting question. Like Netlify is inherently closed source, but their build tool is open source. So you could you could technically use it yourself. So it's like this thing of what do you have open source in a closed source company and what do you have closed source in an open source community? It's, it's a really hard one to answer because I always think with Everfun, like, we've developed this really cool thing and we'd like to make it open source, but then we think, yeah, but it's also not ready yet. And we think we could still move really fast on it. And if we obviously abstracted that out, made that public, you then get this consensus of stable releases that you can't just push something to instantly and not worry about, you know? So it's, it's always an interesting thought that I always think. The purest in me wants to open source immediately the practical me knows that you can just build much faster. I mean, you, we can deliver so much more value to our customers. I mean, it's very hard to build a suite of tools, especially, I mean, where you're building libraries, we've got so much that we need to build. And it's undoubtable that if we had done everything open source, the platform itself open source from the start, we just wouldn't be even halfway close to where we are. So I, I think at this stage, yeah, we've made the right decision, but we check in very regularly on this to make sure that we're going to open source everything that we can uh, as time goes on. I think there's no good answer to this one. Do you think that open source code is always pristine, not sloppy? Not, it does get the job done, but it often is the most complex solution to get the job done. When when it's closed source, you may skip a few corners, you may uh, get it done, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely, definitely there. I know, for example, on some of our closed source, maybe our dashboard, for example, doesn't have as many tests as it would <laughs> if it was open source. Ultimately, I mean, it comes down to the tool as well. For example, people, you know, the value that Superbase brings is that you just want this immediate experience. There aren't actually that many people coming in saying, hey, I really want to self-host right now. 99% of the people coming into Superbase are coming in because they want to get a database up and running in a minute. They don't want to worry about the configuration. They don't want to worry about M variables or anything like that. So, you know, our focus actually is delivering this platform first, and then the open source tooling will definitely come as part of it. So we just try to make sure that we can move as fast as we can on that promise, time to value first, and then open source as a guaranteed next step. Is there anything else that we haven't talked about in this coming year for Superbase? Yeah, I mean, I'd love to see more closely working with Redwood would be pretty cool. Yeah, are there any any things that you're missing inside your framework that we could implement? Or um, what are the things that your own community are asking for that you think would be an amazing backend experience that we can deliver on? That's a good question. I would guess that Chris has lots of opinions himself. For me, my first question would be, how does it work with GraphQL? Because we're Postgres, you can literally connect any GraphQL 
server that you want with, our, with your database that we provide you, and then it'll work exactly the same. So if you wanted to use, for example, Prisma 2, you would just point it towards our database and then it'll run all the schema migrations into it. By the way, you'll get yelled at this. Prisma 2 has nothing to do with GraphQL because it's now just an ORM tool. So technically Redwood is actually doing the GraphQL part. Oh, okay. So this is why I would say you're going to get people asking you for GraphQL specific kind of tooling because like having GraphQL talk to a database is like it's a pretty specific thing. <laughs> like I've made a joke like adding GraphQL to your project is not a weekend. It's not a weekend project. So yeah, I'd be very curious to kind of see because you have you have like gateways and stuff that you're also using as well. So you're using Kong, right? Yes, so we use um, Kong for our, it basically splits the traffic between, you know, the real-time server, the auth server, it navigates on the server. And then for our APIs, we use a tool called Postgres. And in fact, we employ one of the maintainers of Postgres. We employ him full-time to work on Postgres. Yeah, so I think Postgres would be the tool then you'd want something that could do kind of that, like generate your RESTful API, but generate a GraphQL API instead. So actually, there is a kind of equivalent uh, PostgreSQL, which is just called GraphQL now. Yes, I've heard of that, yes. Yep, and the idea is that you point it towards it introspects your database and it builds a GraphQL sort of interface for you to use directly. So far, we've had a few people ask for it, but I mean, technically we offer uh, a lot of things that GraphQL would give you. You can do um, nested queries, foreign data queries through your tables. We also provide all the auth. So we provide row level security through your REST API. It's not something that would probably build anytime soon if we were to offer GraphQL because, you know, getting it working with auth so that you don't have to have a layer in between, all these sorts of things would be just um, a huge loss of focus for us. But if you wanted to bring your own GraphQL server, anything that works with Postgres should work with uh, the database that we provide. Yeah, no, that's cool. It's definitely some of that I'll be interested in. Maybe check it out and see what we can do. Do you use OpenAPI or Swagger to provide that REST API? Postgres itself actually will generate on your like root URL an OpenAPI interface. One of the nice things you can do is you just build your schema. You literally build your database. Then you can use a sort of generator, an ORM generator from your Swagger to generate out all your types. Um, your TypeScript, and we're working on our CLI now, and this is one of the things that we'll do. You could literally dump all your types. We can, thinking about even building our classes, things like that, all from your database schema. So you focus on putting your data types inside your database, your auth rules, everything comes in your database, then you just dump it out. Well, if you use OpenAPI, then you could use something like GraphQL Mesh, and that would generate a GraphQL API, for you from the OpenAPI docs. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I've been experimenting with GraphQL Mesh using their OpenAPI slash Swagger of Stripe. Instead of using the JavaScript client, you literally just post to Stripe using their curl through GraphQL Mesh. It's a big brain problem to be like, how do we simplify our client? by using more clients, you know? But it would work. Get on that experiment, Anthony. <laughs> I mean, everyone has their favorite tool, right? So there's nothing wrong with dabbling on, on what you want. I would say to most people, if they're coming in, be open to uh, trying out our libraries. I think they're pretty easy to use. We've spent a lot of time trying to make sure that they're super straightforward, super easy to use, and they get you everything out of the box. But in saying that, I mean, we're not religious about whether you use our tooling. That's why we expose the database itself. So just bring your own tooling, use what you like, try out different things, different tools for different jobs, right? I was going to say, 
What I would like to see is team management on a layer level. There's two ways to do team management. One would be create every team has its own database inside of the database. I don't know the correct PG terms, but I know it's like database inside the container or whatever it is. Or you just have every team on one database and then filter out, obviously, the other teams. There has been progress in areas with things like Prisma Multi-Tenant that would do that for you through Prisma. But if this is like a super version of Postgres, then we would look at features that like Fauna is building of saying like, okay, can we handle the things like automatically pushing it to multiple regions? Can we handle team support easier? So at the database level, you're not going to get someone else's data. They're things that I would think could be really powerful to have. By team management, you don't mean my team of developers we're building and we separate. You mean your customers? Yeah, so multi-tenancy is it? There we go. Multi-tenancy, yum. Okay, Postgres can do multi-tenancy. Actually, Auth0 seems to have some undocumented uh, multi-tenancy functionality. And we've had a couple of people ask for it as well. So likely we'll bring out some guides. Also, one thing I'll mention now, we're kind of thinking about bringing out a bit of a marketplace where people can provide schemas that are sort of pre-built. So you don't even have to think, you know, if you don't know how to build a multi-tenant application or you don't know how to build a SaaS application or something like that, then you can sort of just choose one that's been pre-built by someone who's got all the security models in, uh, everything that you need, and you just one click, you choose that one, and it's up and running pre-configured. Yeah, multi-tenancy is definitely one thing that we're already thinking about and we'll definitely provide it in the future. But there's nothing limiting you right now uh, if you wanted to build uh, multi-tenancy. It can be done already with the existing tool. We'll just make it, as you say, 10x easier. My only other question is, I checked your regions and you host in EU. Whereabouts in the EU? I think that one's in Berlin. So we're hosting everything on AWS right now. I'd have to double check, so don't hold me to that. But I think it's in Berlin. Berlin or Frankfurt, probably. Frankfurt. Uh, Frankfurt, yeah. Okay, yeah. I think it's Frankfurt. I'm a, uh, a UK citizen that's had its head chopped off with Brexit. And our customers are very wary of storing data in Europe. And that's one of the reasons we use DigitalOcean is because we can host it in the UK. And like, be like, don't worry, your data is hosted in the UK. But actually, AWS has a region, right? Uh, a UK region? Yeah, London. It's EU West Two. Okay, yeah, I'll chat to um, Ant about why why we don't have it. But yeah, we we actually started. Funnily enough, we started on um, DigitalOcean. They were the first to kind of give us credits, and you know, databases are not cheap to host, so we were very reliant on credits. So we started off with DigitalOcean, but we quickly ran out of credits, and AWS then gave us some. So we had to migrate at the time 800 databases from DigitalOcean to AWS, and that's why all the regions, you know, they don't look like AWS regions. It's because they're 
steal the names of the digital ocean regions basically but uh there's no reason we can add a add another region and uh i'll, I'll make sure that we've got uk and we'll put put the country labels on them yeah that story of migrating 800 databases you told on your se daily interview which we'll, we'll link to in the show notes i highly highly recommend people check that out because that's a quite a challenge i would imagine <laughs> <laughs> it was uh some long sleepness I think we had a week or something like that to do it. So <laughs> before we started paying tens of thousands of dollars. So yeah, it, it was quite stressful. That's a wrap, I guess. Thank you for your time. Thanks a lot, Paul, for being here. We appreciate all of your contributions to the, the open source world and being involved in talking to us in the Redwood community as we've been kind of building out stuff with it. We really appreciate it. And I know lots of people are really excited to continue building with it. So be fun to see where Superwood goes in the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, guys, thank you very much for having me on your podcast and hope everyone will check it out. But also uh, everyone listening in the future, I hope they check out Redwood as well. And hopefully we have some nice, nice integrations built and some nice tutorials on our website pointing towards Redwood soon. One for the listeners, just so you know, all three of us are currently on different continents of the planet. Where I am in Europe, it's currently... 9 a.m. Anthony, where are you? I'm in California. It is 1 a.m. I'm Paul. I'm in Singapore and it's 5 p.m. So I think I got the lucky side here. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you for your time. Cheers. kind of like using uh, like saying why would you choose react rather than just pure javascript it just or why would you choose redwood instead of react exactly (laughs) it's almost like opinionated frameworks are things that people like exactly (laughs) you can cut that out right you can go i can just re-say this it's kind of like saying why would you use redwood over javascript